0: And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church.
1: Kings and the Lord of Lords. He's the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and he's the Prince of Peace. First Samuel 2, 2 says, There is none holy as the Lord, for there is none beside thee, neither is there any rock like our God. He is the rock. He's my constant and my consistent source of strength. I'm thankful to know that he's never lost a battle. He's never been defeated. He's never been conquered. He's never been overcome. He's never been caught off guard or taken by surprise. But he knows what we need and when we need it. What a great, big, wonderful God that we serve today. Would you clap your hands to the Lord one more time? What a powerful presence of the Lord that's already here today, and His Spirit is already moving in this service, and it is just a joy to be back at Hatch Bend. We just love this great church, love all of you so very much. We give honor to Pastor and Sister Boyd. Aren't you grateful for godly leadership that the Lord has placed in your life? And we love them dearly, and If you have your Bibles, we're just going to open and we're going to read from the book of St. Luke, the second chapter, and we're going to begin at verse number 41, and we're going to read down to verse number 49, St. Luke chapter 2, verse number 41, and as you're turning there, I do want to say how much I appreciate my lovely wife, and my son Shiloh, so happy that they're with me today. Luke chapter 2, verse number 41, and the scripture tells us this. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And When they had fulfilled the days, as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem. Joseph and his mother knew not of it. But they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinsfolk and acquaintance. When they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him. And it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions." And all they that heard him were astonished. Everybody say astonished. They were astonished at his understanding and answers. When they saw him, they were amazed. Everyone say amazed. They were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he said unto them, How is it that you sought me, Was you not? that I must be about my Father's business. Jesus said, I've got to do this. That's what I want to preach to us on today. I want to speak to us on this subject, the Father's business. The Father's business. Can we lift our hands to the Lord? Let's pray. Let's ask God to speak to us. Father, in the name of Jesus, your presence has already moved so beautifully in this service. God, you've anointed the teachers, and you've anointed the singers and the musicians, and God, we're asking now that you would speak to us from your word. Let it go and do what it's sent to do. Let it encourage and empower, equip, and endow. We give you praise and thanks in advance in the name that's above every other name, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Turn to the person beside you, look at them in their eyeballs, and ask them, Have you been working out? Because you're looking good today. <laughs> hey, somebody said that with conviction. Uh, you may be seated. Thank you for standing with me. Well, this is a special day where we take a moment and we celebrate all of the fathers. Really, humanity has been around for quite some time. Down through the years and generations past have come and gone. They have lived and died. And according to the Population Reference Bureau, it's estimated that there have been over 108 billion people on this world. And while they are all different, and distinct, It can be said that there's much more that unites us than what divides us. There is more that unites us than what divides us. We may have different colors of skin, but we have the same red blood that flows through our veins. We may live in different communities and cities and countries, but we all share the same planet. We may have different cultures and colors and creeds, but we all share the same Christ that died for each and every one of us. We may come from different lineages and descents and origins, but we are all here because of a Father. I'm not really trying to be controversial or politically incorrect, but it does take a man and a woman to have a child. And we are all here. You want to think that would be a controversial statement, but here we are. But we are here because of a mother and a father. And fathers, no doubt, have faced their fair share of criticism. Living as a father, it can be tough to try to solve all of the problems that come up your way. There are moments where it can be hard and difficult and trying, trying to navigate through this thing we call life. My wife told me that her grandma and grandpa started a church years ago and they started their family just about the same time. So the first child came, and it was a girl. So they decided to have another one. and The next baby came along, and it was a girl. They thought we'd try one more time and try it again, and lo and behold, it was a girl that came. And Finally, her grandpa said, I'm willing to try, but I'm only going to try one more time. Well, here come twin girls the fourth time around, (laughs) five girls, and so when her mother and father got married, they said, we are ready for a boy, surely, a boy's got to be coming soon. The first one came, and you guessed it, it was a girl, and the second was a girl, and the third it was a girl. And finally they said one last try and guess what? It was a girl. I'm feeling sorry for the fathers that have girls scattered all around them. She said it was all of her sisters and her mom and her dad driving home from church and talking and chirping back and forth and just like kids do and aggravating one another and getting on each other's nerves. Her dad was trying his best to keep together. You need to calm down. Stop hitting her. Don't touch her. And all the while he's trying to eat, trying to make it home to get up for work the next morning. And finally it just escalated and escalated and escalated. He finally opened up his sandwich and it wasn't made right. And the girls kept on aggravating each other and finally he had all he could handle. He said, I'm throwing this out the window. Took the sandwich and didn't realize he didn't roll his window down. Hit the window and hit him in the face. If there's any story that can resemble being a father, I think that just about hits it right on the head. There's just problems that pop up that you really don't have an answer for. And when we look and read throughout the scriptures, I see a father that is kind of caught off guard. A man by the name of Joseph who who starts out in a very unique situation. It was Mary that became pregnant, was going to have a son. But it was an angel that appeared to Joseph in a dream in Matthew 1 and 21. It said, Joseph, she's going to have a son, but you're not going to name him after yourself, but you're going to call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. What a weight that had to be upon Mary, carrying that child and birthing the Savior into the world. And while it was a weight on her, is it okay that I'd be willing to say it was also a burden on dad? It had to be a burden on Joseph knowing that this child was going to be the answer and the Savior of the world. And it was going to be his responsibility to care for him, to train him, to protect him. So we're not told very much about the childhood of Jesus. There aren't very many stories, not many examples that we have. But there is one found in our text in the second chapter of the Gospel of St. Luke. We find that in this 41st verse that it begins by telling us that his parents went to Jerusalem just like they did every year before. Now at first glance, we can read right past that scripture and move on to the next. But I think it's important to take a moment here and just dissect that very first verse that we read. That every year they went to Jerusalem. That tells me about the kind of parents that Jesus had. They were faithful. It wasn't just a one time deal. This was something that they did over and over again. Sometimes in life it may seem like we're not doing very much. But don't belittle what we do when we come to the house of the Lord. You don't know the dividends that's, that's going to pay. You don't know the impression that you're making on the children. You don't know the impact that you're making on all the others that are around you. They were constant. And so, just like all of the other times before they went to the feast, and now it was time to come home. And so as they were on their journey back home, uh, the day came and the day ended. And as the day was coming to an end, I'm sure... If you've ever been on a trip, especially with lots of luggage and lots of problems and lots of snacks and bathroom breaks, come on somebody, by the time you get to the end of the day, the stress is starting to mount and the sun has went down and the night has come and Joseph and Mary now find themselves sitting for a moment and able to rest and relax and the question somehow gets brought up, well, where's Jesus at? And they start looking through everybody and everything, and they can't find him anywhere. The Bible says they just suppose that he was in the company. They just assume that he was there, but after careful inspection and after asking so many questions and after panic attacks and anxiety that would just uh, just torment their minds, they came to the conclusion, Jesus isn't with us. Huh? Sometimes we have to be careful that we don't get so busy living life that we just think everything's okay. There are times we have to analyze and reflect on ourselves and make sure that I'm still carrying Jesus with me. I'm still being faithful in my responsibilities, in my duties. I want to make sure that I'm still praying like I'm supposed to pray. I'm still witnessing like I'm supposed to witness. I'm still doing what I know is right. But when they finally realize That Jesus isn't with them. I find it very interesting what the scripture says they do next. In verse number 45. It says they turn back and they begin to seek him. Again, it may not mean much on the surface. But if you look a little closer. The moment they realize that they've drifted away from Jesus. They said, no, no, no. We got to get back to where we need to be. there's moments that we can just drift away. We can just get preoccupied with other things going on. Preoccupied with our jobs, with our family, with our entertainment, just trying to survive another day. When we realize that we may not be where we're supposed to be, let's follow the advice of Mary and Joseph. Let's put our eyes back where they need to be, and let's seek the Lord with all of our heart, and let's get back to where Jesus is. Let's go back to where we started. That's a good way to get back on the right track. Let's just get back to where we originally began. Sometimes we have to go back to the foundation, go back to an altar where we had our experience with God. Do you remember that altar, that call that first came to your life, the moment that you wept and cried because you never felt anything as wonderful as the Holy Ghost? Hey, can I let you know there's still nothing as sweet as the Spirit of God. Hey, I can live in the biggest house and drive the nicest car and have degree after degree hanging on my wall, but that doesn't compare to the gift of salvation. That is no substitute for the power of the Holy Ghost. I've got to renew that every now and then. Oh, Lord, that old song said, take me back. Take me back to where it first began. So they said, let's get back to Jerusalem. And So they traveled and finally reached their destination. When they arrived, they were amazed. And they were astonished at what they saw. In the temple, they find Jesus. Jesus is talking with the doctors. And. He's leaving those all around him bewildered and baffled. How how is it that this young boy has so much wisdom? How is it that this young kid is speaking things that we've never even thought of before? All it took was just a 12-year-old Jesus and he was leaving the doctors dumbfounded The crowds were leaving confounded. And the individuals were astounded. Jesus was doing what nobody else had ever done. When they came to Him, they said, Jesus, we've been worried, sick about You. We've been stressed to the max. Uh, We've been so anxious and upset and almost angry. What are You doing Jesus looked at them and said, I must be about my father's business. It was the life that Jesus lived, not just when he was 12, but when he began his ministry at the age of 30 years old in Luke 4 and 16. It says that as his custom was, Jesus went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. As his custom was, Jesus went to church. I'm going to tell you where that came from. It started with a mama and a daddy that said, we're going to church. We may be dealing with trouble. There may be adversity in our lives right now, but priority is going to take priority. And we're going to the house of the Lord. And Jesus was in the synagogue. I found out that you can experience God anywhere. You can experience Him when you're at home by yourself. You can experience Him when you're driving in the car. You can experience Him when you're working on the job, when you're sitting in a classroom, when you're walking the grocery store. But there is one place you can always know He's going to be. God is faithful to His house. You want to feel his presence. I'm going to tell you, this is a good place to feel his presence. You want to get direction. This is a good place to get direction. And so he stands and preaches in Luke 4 and 18. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted." To preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty them that are bruised. And to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. He said, I've come to tell you, there is an answer. There is a solution. And there is a remedy. Jesus came doing His Father's business. And it's His Father's business to heal those that are hurting. To fix those that are broken. To lift those that are low. To encourage those that are discouraged. To enlighten those that are confused. To free those that are bound. To restore those that are fallen. To find those that are lost. And to keep those that are saved. That is the Father's business. I'm not sure if they realized who it was that was standing in front of them. But Jesus over and over again said, I must be about my father's business. I go. And and he would speak of this heavenly father. Time and time again he would reference and give example and illustration until finally we find Jesus And he is speaking with his disciples in the book of John, the 14th chapter. And again, he's talking about this heavenly father. And as he is talking, finally Philip decides, I've had all I could handle. I don't want to just hear this as a parable. I don't want this to just be known as a story or some kind of riddle. But Jesus, I'm going to ask you this one time. Would you just go ahead and show us? Would you just tell us who this father is? Jesus told him, he said, Philip. Have I been so long time with you, and yet has that yet that has not known me? He that has seen me has seen the Father. Hey, when you want you want to know who the Father is, Bubba, you're staring at him right now. I and my Father are one. Hey, He was more than just the Son. He was also the Father. He wasn't just the Son or the Father, but He was the same Spirit that we feel right now. The Scripture tells us who He is. Isaiah 6 and 3 says that He is holy. Deuteronomy 32 and 4 says He's just. Psalm 145 and 17 says He's righteous. Psalm 3121 says he's kind Psalm 145 and 8 says he's compassionate Matthew 11:29 says he's meek Deuteronomy 10 and 17 says he's mighty Psalm 104 and 1 says he's great Nehemiah 931 says he's gracious Psalm 1835 says he's gentle Deuteronomy 33 and 27 says he's eternal Isaiah 4113 says he's helpful Nehemiah 917 says he's merciful Deuteronomy 7 and 9 says he's faithful Ephesians 4.32 says he's forgiving Psalm 94.19 says he's comforting Psalm 3.3 says he's uplifting Exodus 34 and 6 says he's long suffering Psalm 147 and 5 says he's understanding 1 John 3.20 says he's all-knowing. Hebrews 13 and 8 says he's unchanging. Isaiah 40.28 says he's everlasting. And 1 John 4.19 says he is loving. That doesn't even scratch the surface of who he is. There's that old song that said, he's my father, he's my mother, he's my sister, and he's my brother. He is everything to me. He's my hope, he's my rock, he's my fortress, he's my deliverer, he's my God, my strength in whom I will trust, he's my buckler, he's the horn of my salvation, he's my high tower, he's my heart mender, he's a mind regulator, he's my soul satisfier, he's my problem fixer, he's the alpha and he's the omega, he's the beginning and he's the ending, he's the first and he's the last. He's the author and he's the finisher. He's which is and which was and which is to come. I'm thankful I know the father by name. His name is Jesus. Woo. Hallelujah. He's not just a character in a story. He's not just the figment of somebody's imagination. He's not just some star in a Disney movie. He's not like all of the other false gods. He's more than a statue. He's more than a relic. He's more than some kind of idol. Psalm 115 and 4 says, The idols of this world, their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Noses have they, but they smell not. They have hands, but they handle not. Feet have they, but they walk not. Neither speak at all. But our God, He's not like any of those characteristics. Isaiah 40 and 11 says, He gathers us in His arm and He will carry us. Psalm 119 and 73 says His hands made us and fashioned us. Proverbs 15 and 3 says His eyes are in every place beholding the evil and the good. Isaiah 59 and 1 says His ears can hear us when we pray. Psalm 29 and 4 says His voice is powerful. His voice is full of majesty. Isaiah 11 and 4 says the breath of His lips they can slay the wicked 1 Corinthians 15 25 says he can put all enemies under his feet our God has eyes And brother, he can see, he has ears, he can hear, he has hands, he can reach, he has feet, he can walk, he has a mouth, he can speak, and he has a voice, and he can still be heard. And when God speaks, oh, I feel the Holy Ghost here today, when God speaks, mountains can move. When God speaks, storms cease to exist. When God speaks, demons tremble and angels bow. When God speaks, bondage is broken and addictions are alleviated. When God speaks, Psalm 107 and 20 says, He sent His word and He healed them and He Deliver them. When God speaks, obstacles are obliterated. When God speaks, enemies are eliminated. Adversaries are annihilated. Devils are debilitated. Evil is exterminated. When God speaks. And when he speaks, he says, I'm being about my father's business. There's something about the word that's attached to the father's business. First Corinthians 1.18 says, "It's the preaching of the cross is to them that are is to them that perish, it's foolishness, but unto us who are saved, it is the power of God uh, when He speaks." He said, "I've got to be about my father's business," and he told the disciples in John fourteen, "I'm not going to be." Too much longer, but is in John the 14th chapter. He said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me, because in my Father's house are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you. He said, Now I go to prepare a place for you. He said, That's my Father's house, but I'm the one that's doing the building. He said, I go to repair a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. And whither I go, you know, and the way, you know. And they said, well, what are you talking about the way that we know? What is the way? John fourteen six. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. Jesus is the answer. To our sin. Jesus is the solution to our problem. Jesus is the remedy for the trouble that we may face in life. And whatever we face in this world, whatever trouble we have to endure, whatever burden that a father has to carry, and whatever adversity that mothers have to deal with, and whatever uncertainty that children have to be unsure about, we have a promise in Romans 8.18 that says, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. Because if we stay about our Father's business now... There's coming a day that Jesus said you're going to be rewarded. It's not just going to be to a certain class. It's not just going to be rewards for the preacher. But if you just give somebody a cup of cold water in my name, you're not going to lose your reward. Hey, brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, there's going to be some fathers on the other side of glory, and some rewards are going to be passed out, not because we are perfect Because nobody's perfect. Not because we've never made a mistake. But we've all made a mistake. But he's going to look at us and say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. There's times that trouble knocked you down. But you kept getting up. There's times that life mistreated you. But you kept doing what you knew was right. And as long as we are faithful. Woo! Let me encourage somebody this morning. I've got to be faithful to the end. He's going to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And what a reward that's going to be. No more trouble. No more problems. No more hurt. No more bitterness, no more hatred, no more war, no more terrorism, no more addiction, no more division, no more drama, no more pain, no more aches. No more cancers, no more diabetes, no more treatments, no more chemotherapy, no more arthritis, no more graveyards, no more cemeteries, no more death. And there's going to be no more crying, for he's going to wipe away all tears from our eyes. There is a reward waiting on us. For those that have made their calling and their election sure. Could you stand with me all across the house? As every head is bowed and every eye is closed. Jesus said it like this in Matthew seven eleven. He said, If you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your heavenly father Whatever you need from him, he's not looking to turn you away. He's looking to draw you in. Just like a natural father, we have a heavenly father that cares for you. He cares because he's a caring Christ. He's a compassionate Christ. He's a considerate Christ. Don't feel like you're by yourself. Somebody today, you're dealing with loneliness. You feel like you're all alone. But I've come to tell you, there's somebody that loves you. He loves you in the lowest moments, in the worst of times. When it seems like all hope is lost, he's that friend that sticks closer than a brother. He promised us, I will go to the ends of the earth with you. I'm asking you today, is He still in the company? Do you still feel Him close as you ever have? He's here today, and He can do everything you need Him. And He can be whoever you need Him to be.
0: This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church.